0: Well, again, Happy New Year, everybody. My name is AJ. Welcome to First Light South Portland Church. Um, before we dive in today, i got a couple important announcements that I want to share with you guys. Um, one is that we are going to be having our ownership class coming up in two weeks. We believe here that members have rights, but owners take responsibility. And if you'd like to learn more about our mission, our vision, our core values, we invite you to come to this one-hour class um, in two weeks, again, on January 14th, immediately following our service in the parlor, to learn more about our church and how you might be willing to partner with us. And then we've had a lot of folks making some big decisions about life change and their walk with God. And that's awesome. And we've been celebrating that over the last several weeks through our Christmas series and things like that. And so we're going to be having our uh, Baptism Sunday event coming up on Sunday, January 28th. And if you'd like to sign up for baptism, you can contact any one of the pastors here or you can get online at firstlight.love and there is a tab where you can register and say I want to get baptized and we would love to help you with that important next step. Finally, if you are a parent in here of a middle school, high school or like college age young adult kind of person, can you raise your hand right now? Can I see all of you guys. All right, awesome. Okay, there you are. There awesome. All right. So for you guys, a couple big announcements. One, today we are doing a family midnight bowling event with Fuse. There are a couple spots left. If you're interested in being a part of that, please see uh, Chris and Kelly Minor, and they'll probably be in the foyer um, at the back, or come see me at the end, and we would love to get you signed up. You have to register for it, because we've gotten certain slots um, to be able to bowl, but we would love for you to be a part of that tonight. It's going to be 1030 to I think 1 a.m. At, at the bowling alley and we can give you information if you're interested. Secondly, we're gonna be relaunching our Fuse student ministry on January 7th, which will be next Sunday. And we're gonna be opening up a new small group in Fuse for our young adults. And so if you have a young adult, if you have a college age um, you know, student in your house who's, who's still living here and they wanna be a part of that, Um, We're hoping to connect them with some others around their age and bring them into our Fuse environment. So I want to share those two important things with you. Now, to break the ice today, I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you have started thinking about or maybe set some New Year's resolutions for 2024? Can I see a show of hands? All right, several of you, several of you. Okay, awesome. Now, here's my second question. How many of you are planning on breaking one of them within the first week? Some of you. Okay, some of you. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that, okay? that's I Hopefully, you've at least thought about the new year and what you want to do different, because this is really the season where we talk and we look at this idea of self-improvement. I want to make myself a better version of me. You want to make yourself a better version of you. Churches, in fact, generally start to have higher attendance in the month of January, and then it wanes off during the year. Gyms, Also have a lot of increased attendance in the first couple days, first week or two of the month of January. Those of you who you know attend a gym, who are a member of a gym, um, you're like, "Who are all these new people around me?" And somebody tells you, "Don't worry, they'll be gone in a few days. It's it's just January." I don't think it's a bad thing for us to look at our lives and reevaluate. You know, to think about what we're eating, to think about how to get out of debt, all those kinds of things. But basically, this month, the question, if we think about it, that we end up kind of focusing on, just because of our culture, the question is really this. What should I do about me? What should I do about me? How do I make me a better version of me? How can I get slimmer? How can I get stronger? How can I get smarter? How can I get out of debt? And again, all those things are good. I'm not saying any of that stuff is really bad. But for us, over the next uh, several weeks, we want to try to get you to focus your attention on a bigger, and we think, actually a better question. And it's a little bit threatening. In fact, some of you are going to be maybe even a little bit disturbed when we start to unpack this question. But I think that's good, because I think sometimes we should wrestle with stuff, and we should feel a little bit disturbed about things. That's why we're going to talk about it for the next five weeks. Some of you who are married, you might not like this question because your husband or your wife, they already think about this stuff, and they bring it up sometimes, and you try to reel them back in, and you're like, look, you got to keep your job. We got to, like, eat, so don't think about changing things right now, and so this might disturb you a little bit. That's okay, so to introduce the question this week, I'm actually going to do something a little different than than what we normally do around here, so this is, again, your first time here first time back in a while. This isn't something we do all the time, but today in this service, I am going to read an entire chapter to you from the Bible. And again, if this is, you know, your first time here and uh, it's like a New Year's resolution to get back to church and, and maybe you have some questions about God and stuff like that that you're hoping to get answered, I think this might be the perfect Sunday and this might be the perfect series, in fact, for you. Because this particular chapter of the Bible is actually found in the Old Testament, and it's from a book entitled Nehemiah. And this is actually one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, because this guy, Nehemiah, was an actual Jewish person in history who did an extraordinary thing. And in fact, it was so extraordinary that his story was put in the Jewish scriptures, which then became part of our Bible, the Old Testament. So it's a story about an extraordinary leader who did extraordinary, an extraordinary thing. And the reason, especially if you're not a Bible person and maybe you're not really sure about the whole, you know, religion thing and, and all that. The other reason this is such a fascinating story is this isn't a story with big, like, flashy miracles in it. It's, it, it's really a story, the story of Nehemiah. It's a story about hard work and discipline and vision and calling. And it's a really powerful story that sets us up for this kind of challenging question that we're going to wrestle with and get to. In fact, the first chapter from this ancient document that we call the book of Nehemiah takes place right after what is often called the Jewish exile, the Jewish exile. So I'll give you a little history lesson really quick on the Jewish exile, which occurred around 605 BC. This group called the Babylonians, Invaded Judah. And so if you think about modern day Israel in your mind, it, it was sort of like the top half and the lower half. They had split into two kingdoms, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. And the Southern Kingdom was called Judah. The Northern Kingdom kept the name Israel. The Southern Kingdom was called Judah. And so they invaded what was called the Southern Kingdom or Judah. And they, they took all the people and they kind of took them into You know, into their culture, they brought them in kind of like as we're going to incorporate you, we're going to pull you out of your culture, we're going to bring you into ours. And so if if you remember some stories, if you grew up in church or children's church and you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the the fiery furnace, maybe you remember that story. In children's ministry, we, we called them my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. But if you remember them, or if you remember the guy Daniel who went in the lion's den, those folks were around during this time, okay? They were taken from their home. They were taken from Jerusalem and they have to go to work for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And so for about 70 years, the nation of Israel just shuts down. Temple worship stops. They went out of business because they had been conquered by the Babylonians. 70 years go by and then the Persians come in and they conquered the Babylonians. And this guy Cyrus the Great, he was the Persian leader, he starts looking around. And he says, what do we do with all these Jewish people spread out throughout our community over here? And so he makes a proclamation. He said, hey, if the Babylonians took you out of your homeland, you can go home. The party's over. Head back home. Go ahead. And so everybody was now able to migrate back to their nation of origin. And many people did. Ultimately, hundreds of thousands of Jews migrated back to Israel to crank up the economy, to get the temple going, all of those kinds of things. But it wasn't going so well for them because they had been gone a long time. And now other communities and other cultures had kind of taken residence on that land and weren't very happy that they were coming back. And the economy was stalled. And so, about 90 more years pass, and this is where we start to get introduced to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish man, and he is now working for the new king of Persia named King Artaxerxes. And we have an account of this in our Bibles in the book of Nehemiah. So what I want to do today is I want to read through the first chapter of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app on your smartphone, you can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. That's where we're going to hang out today, Okay. And I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to ask this kind of disturbing question and talk about it and unpack it for like the whole month of January. Any questions you guys tracking with me? All right, good. Here's how it goes. Ready? Nehemiah one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So Nehemiah is in the citadel of Susa, which was essentially the primary city or capital city of the Persian Empire. Verse two, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now remember, all these people had been migrating back to their homeland after being in exile. So he's asking his brother, Nehemiah's like, how are things going with that? Because remember, these families had been displaced, generationally displaced. And so these, these guys come and see Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, who maybe has never been to his homeland, is like, how's it going back there in the homeland? And here's what they say in verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Which basically means terrible. We have no defense. We're in like no man's land right now. There's all these other communities and cultures and cities. People are attacking us. Things are not good. And then we see Nehemiah's reaction to this news in the next very powerful statement, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In other words, for Nehemiah, this wasn't just news. This wasn't just, I turned on CNN or MSNBC or Fox, and that's interesting, too bad, so sad. I'll pray for that. You know, I work for the king. I eat and live indoors. I'm raising my family in the most powerful, wealthy culture in the whole world. Sorry about Jerusalem. I'll keep them in prayer. Good luck with that. No, that wasn't Nehemiah's response at all. He was heartbroken. He was devastated. He literally wept. And then he journals his prayer that he prayed for his entire nation. It continues in verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Nehemiah is, is basically now in his prayer, he is reminding God, okay, God, my whole life I have been taught that you are a God who keeps his promises. You are that God, right? You're the God who keeps his promises. And he uses the word, a very special word, covenant. Because God had made a covenant. With Israel, this powerful promise with Israel that we had talked about a little bit, if you guys remember, last couple weeks in the Christmas series. He had promised this guy Abraham that he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky, that his name would be great, he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky, they would become a great nation, and through him the entire world would be blessed. Do you guys remember that? We talked about that, right? And so now Nehemiah is re- reminding God of that promise. And, and Nehemiah is sitting there going, we all know the name Abraham. We still know that name. So you kept that promise. And, you know, we became this nation of Israel. You kept that promise. Don't really know about the whole blessing of the world thing yet. Jesus hasn't been around yet. So he didn't know about that part of the, uh, uh, of the promise. But he's reminding God. You're a God who's been keeping his promises. Please hear my prayer. And then he does something interesting. He says this, verse 6. I Confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. He basically says, God, if I think about it, we deserve to be thrown out of the homeland. I mean we deserved to get booted from the promised land Israel. We have not obeyed your commandments. We have not obeyed how you told us to live when you talked to Moses. You guys remember the Ten Commandments? Y'all remember that? After God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, he said, you are my people. I am your God. We have this awesome relationship. And now here's how I want you to live the best kind of life, a God-centered life. But over the centuries after that, people drifted. And they started to fall away from God. And they rebelled. And they chased after things like money and pleasure, and power, and false gods. And so now their homeland was in shambles. And so Nehemiah confesses his sins and the sins of his people. He's heartbroken. He repents before God. Then he continues in verse eight. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is exactly what happened, right? I mean, that's why Nehemiah lives in Susa and not in Jerusalem, because they got scattered throughout the nations. But then he also remembers the grace and hope that God had also offered. Verse 9, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah is speaking the words that God spoke to Moses saying, you remember the whole Moses thing and the plagues in Egypt and let my people go. I mean, God, you went to great trouble to redeem your people from Egypt. But now we're scattered all over the place. So once again, God, once again, would you have grace? Would you be willing, as you once said you would, would you be willing to redeem us and save us once again? Would you be willing to bring your people back by your great strength and your mighty hand? God, please hear my desperate prayer. And then he asked for something very, very specific In verse 11, check this out. He says this. He says, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. He says, give your servant success. And this is so awesome. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, here's what he's about to do. Here's what he's talking about. Nehemiah, who has it made, he has a great job. He's living a great life. I mean, he's living in the palace. He's got everything he wants. He's the cupbearer to the king of Persia. But now... He's about to go to King Artaxerxes and say, King, I want to quit my job. I would like to leave my cushy job and my family, and I would like to go to a rat hole called Jerusalem and help the people there rebuild that city that I've never lived in before. And this was crazy. Because first off, you don't ask the king for favors. The king asks you for favors. He's the king very risky. He could be thrown in the dungeon. He could be executed if he offends the king. And even if the king says yes, like then what? Like this is a huge sacrifice for Nehemiah. He would have to leave everything he knows. There would be all this uncertainty, a nearly impossible task waiting for him ahead in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah's heart was broken. And so he felt compelled to action. So here's my question for you guys today as we start this new series for the new year. And I don't expect everyone here today to have an answer right now. And that's okay if you don't. But here's the question. You ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, good. Even if you're online right now, say, I'm ready, okay? Here's the question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? When you look around at your community, your neighborhood, your family, your school, your job, your state of Maine. When you look around our country, when you look around what's happening in families, when you look around at the children in our community, I don't know what it might be for you. What captures your attention and breaks your heart? What captures your emotion? And when you think about it, when your mind goes there, it's so disturbing. You don't even want to think about it because you tell yourself, like we all do, well, I can't do anything really about that. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. Nothing can really change. I don't have the resources. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. But God, could you please send someone? Because that would be great if somebody did something about that. What breaks your heart? And let me warn you, this is a very, very dangerous question to start asking yourself. So here's our challenge for this series ahead. Instead of going into this year asking the question that most people do, which is, what can I do about me? What can I do about me? What if we ask this question instead? What could God do through me? What could God do through me? Because here's the truth. If you really want to become a better person this year, then do something that makes the world a better place. And here's something I know about all of you, because this is true of all of us the people that we admire most the people we tell our children about the people that inspire us to greatness and worship team you guys can hold on for a little bit cuz i'm i'm going to go a little bit longer just to let you know okay the, the people who inspire us okay they're not often the skinny people right not necessarily the super skinny healthy people okay awesome or the super wealthy people like that's great we look at that and we're like that's awesome that you're in shape, or that's awesome that you made a fortune or whatever. That's great. Those are good things, okay? Some of us need to get out of debt. Some of us need to lose weight. Who am I kidding? Most of us need to lose weight, right? But that's not what inspires us. What inspires you, what inspires me, the people we're so grateful for are the people who've made this world a better place, or at least made our world a better place, right? And here's the truth, church. Everybody, every single person in here right now, every single person watching online, you have been given the ability by God to make somebody's world a better place. Now, if you don't do this in 2024, if this is not a goal for you in 2024, let me predict 2024 for you. If you're not going to do this What you're probably gonna wind up doing a lot of this year is sit around blaming everyone around you. Blame, 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 blame. Because here's the deal people who blame things don't change things. People who blame things don't change things. You're gonna look at something and it's gonna break your heart, and your defense mechanism is gonna be somebody should have done something about that. It's my boss's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the president's fault. It's everybody else's fault. And you're going to spend time and energy and emotion blaming something, blaming somebody for something you don't like. But as long as you're just blaming, nothing's changing. Blaming and criticizing is not a strategy for changing anything. But what if, just imagine, what if you took all that time and all that energy that you plan to spend the next year researching and blaming others, and instead you actually focused it on helping to bring about positive change and blessing somebody's life in an area that breaks your heart? So I'll ask the question again, what breaks your heart? now? If you're not a Christian or not a church person, the awesome thing about this biblical teaching is that it applies to all of us. It applies to all of us. In fact, some of the most extraordinary changes that have happened in the history of the world have happened from people who didn't necessarily commit to any belief system. There's all kinds of people who've made all kinds of extraordinary changes in the world just because something broke their heart. And they decided to take action on it. But if you're a Christian, and let me be more specific because that word can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. If you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you love him, you have a personal relationship with him. Your desire is to line your heart up with him and follow him. If that's you, if you're a Jesus follower, not perfect, none of us are perfect, but to the best of your ability, you've committed to making Jesus first in your life then your life should be all about change because people who actively follow Jesus change and make the world better. They just do. One of our core values here at our church is what? Changed people change. They don't stay the same. You cannot, I would argue theologically, you cannot actively follow Jesus and not change and not make people's lives around you better. You can't actively follow Jesus and not make the place you live in your home better, where you work better, where you go to school better. It's impossible because it's what Jesus taught and it's what he modeled. Jesus came along and said, if you want God's attention, then pay attention to how you treat other people around you because loved people love people. And every person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. And so they need to matter to you. And if people matter to God, if they're made in the image of God, you're a follower of Jesus, they certainly should matter to you. It's not about religion. It's not about going to temple or going to church on Sunday and going through some motions to earn the favor of God. God's not interested in that. He's more interested in how you treat the people around you. That love of God is equated to love for others. And everywhere that Jesus went, if you read your Bible, everywhere he went, people were better off. He didn't just feel compassion for people. He acted compassionately. And then Jesus did this other amazing thing. He taught that all people have inherent value to God. In other words, Jesus modeled there's not a pecking order It's not, hey, well, I'm a man, you're just a woman. It's not about skin color or how much money you have, which is what people in that time period actually believed. Jesus came along and the way he treated people and what he said without any question at all, it communicated that every single person was valuable to God. And that was an enormous shift in thinking in the first century. That men, women, even children and slaves had inherent value to God. According to Jesus, tax collectors, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, drunks, prostitutes, lepers, Roman centurions, shepherds, the people, the religious people wanted nothing to do with. Jesus would say they mattered. They mattered to God. In fact, the religious people were constantly shocked and at odds with Jesus because they looked at the people he served, and in their minds, he was like messing up the order of life. Jesus scrambled it. Jesus believed every single person that you come in contact with matters to God. And so consequently, throughout the generations, Christian men and women in the name of Jesus have done some remarkable things in this world. They've built hospitals, free hospitals, not for Christian people, for all people. They've built wonderful, caring, loving orphanages, not for Christian children, but for all children. They've built shelters, not for homeless Christians, but for all people who are homeless. Christians were at the heart of the abolitionist movement in our country that ended slavery. Christians were at the forefront of the civil rights movement. It's Christians who believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And specifically in our American culture, I I feel like we take this for granted so often. We take this thinking for granted. But I I want you to know, I mean, I, I had the opportunity to travel to India you know, this past April, and I think my kids were a little bit shocked at some things they saw because in other places in the world, that's not standard thinking. That's not normal thinking. It's not natural. It's not intuitive. What's intuitive is I'm better than you based on what I have, my gender, where I live, what I believe, my social status. I mean, just look at places in the world today where people are actually killed for their beliefs, but Jesus completely turned that upside down. And it influenced people like the people who started our nation. You know, at the beginning of our nation, about 250 years ago, when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, they wrestled with some of the phrases they would use in it. And you may know this from American history class, but Thomas Jefferson, he submitted the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. And here's how he said it He said, We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. Sacred and undeniable. And then Benjamin Franklin came along and he said, you know, let's shorten that a little bit. We hold these truths to be self-evident, to be self-evident. In other words, if you think about it long enough, you should go, yeah, that's the truth. That's self-evident. That makes sense. And and the whole statement that you've heard probably so many times in your life, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created what? Equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And this incredible idea that founded our nation was actually introduced by your Savior, Jesus, to a world that didn't understand it. And this is why when something breaks our heart about the needs of humanity, when something breaks our heart about human rights, when something breaks our heart about what's happening to families or to children, it is God stirring in our hearts to say, I feel what you feel and so our worship team will make this more spiritual for me but I'll say it again what breaks your heart Nehemiah's broken heart was by divine design but what Nehemiah didn't know was that when God stirred his heart to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall that was actually just a part of a series of events that God had planned. It actually started before him, and it would go on long after him, that he was playing a critical role, but he had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to pursue his broken heart. You see, about 14 years before Nehemiah, God spoke to another guy by the name of Ezra, and he said, I want you to go back and Teach people the law again and get the temple restarted and open. Teach people about me. And then he stirred Nehemiah's heart to to go and get them organized and reestablish the city. And all of that, through all of that, they had no idea. But it was in preparation of something that would happen 444 years later when the Son of God Jesus would walk into that very city and he would go to the temple And he would declare who he was to the Jewish people. And all of that history we find in the New Testament. This was the setup for all of that. God sent his son into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves because the problem of our sin broke God's heart. It broke his heart. And Nehemiah's decision to embrace a broken heart was part of what God was up to the entire time. Now, here's what some of you need to hear, and and maybe this is something all of us need to hear. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace a burden that God has put on your heart. You have no idea. Now, the leadership of this church, of your church, they know this personally. My heart was broken over the fact that there are few places for people who feel disconnected from God to go to church. Because many churches are just kind of a little bit weird. Churches designed for church people. That broke my heart. And that broke the heart of other leaders in our church community. It broke our heart that, that children would come to churches pray a prayer to become Christians, and then for the next 10 years of their life, learn to hate church. And then when they had the opportunity where they didn't have to go to church anymore, they would say, good, I'm not going back to that anymore because I hated it. That broke our heart. So we decided that God has been calling us to create a place where we could invite our family and friends, our non-Christian family and friends, who we love and who we know God loves, to come and connect with Jesus. A place where children would want to wake up in the morning and drag their parents to come to church. A place where middle school, high school, and college students would actually want to go. And over the last five years, we've done some stuff right and we've done some stuff wrong. But we're desperately trying to be obedient to God and the passion that he's placed on our heart. And how he broke our heart and so here we are welcome to first light south portland church and now every time there's a baptism and again we're signing people up at the end of the month you can sign up online we'll talk about baptism more next week but every time every time we have a baptism every time a person walks through these doors and encounters god and raises their hand at the end of a service and makes a decision to follow jesus I think we on the leadership, we kind of look at each other in wonder and awe. And we think, what if we as a group of people, you know, didn't do this? What if we were too afraid of change? What if we were too afraid that something would fail? You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And let me tell you something. for, For some of you, your future is more impactful than you could ever imagine. I don't care how old you are, your future is more impactful than you could ever imagine. But in order to experience it, you're gonna have to decide to change a little bit. You're gonna have to decide what breaks your heart and take some risks. And you're gonna have to step out and do some things and people might look at you and think you're a little crazy. It's okay, people think your pastor's crazy, okay? But I don't care because you have no idea What hangs in the balance of that decision? So, I'll ask one more time. What breaks your heart? Would God call you to partner with us? Maybe you need to come to an ownership class in two weeks. Start getting involved more in the ministries of your church. But knowing what breaks your heart and choosing to do something about it, that is an amazing New Year's resolution. If you really want to become a better person, do something to make the world or somebody's world a better place. So here's your homework. I would like to challenge you guys to pray about that question. What breaks your heart over this next week? And if you're not sure this moment, that's okay. Because this is just part one of this series. And we're gonna sit on this question We'll sit on it for a few weeks together. But this is how extraordinary things happen. This is how a world can be changed. And this is how you set yourself up to wake up a year from now and look back on the most extraordinary year of life that you've ever lived. Not simply because you lost a couple pounds, but because you felt like your heart, your life, your resources, your skills were in sync with what God has created you and called you to do. So what breaks your heart? Can we pray together, church? With heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, um, I know this is gonna land in so many places with different people in the room right now, God. We got middle school students and high school students in here. We've got grandparents and great-grandparents in here. Father God. So as always, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today from this incredible, true story of Nehemiah. And then God, give us the courage to take action and do something because changed people change. Help us to take whatever next step we need to do. Help us to evaluate, pray about what breaks my heart. God, how would you use me to make someone's life better. God, I pray that that would be something we would wrestle with, be a little disturbed with, but God, it would move us to action. Father, we love you, and we want to dedicate this year ahead for your honor and for your glory. Pray this today in your son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Can we stand together?